0: James Harden has some choice words for Daryl Morey. What does that mean for the Sixers? What does that mean for Harden? What does that mean for Morey? Plus, we're going to take a look at some of the players around the league that, that fill in the gaps for some championship teams on the wing and the forward spot. And David Rimmel has got his own thoughts from being at Hall of Fame weekend. All that and more on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily source for all things NBA from the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for joining us and making us your first listen. We appreciate you guys joining us all throughout the week with our different hosts, bringing you all the news during the NBA offseason and across all platforms. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, where you should leave us a five-star review. You can check us out on Spotify. Pocket casts. I like that one quite a bit. You can also catch us on YouTube if you want to catch a video version of the show. David and I record this on Monday afternoons in the offseason. We'll switch to Monday nights once the games get going. You can catch that live on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com slash locked on NBA. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network and co-host of Locked On Nuggets. Joined by David Ramil of Locked On Heat. And David, I'm so excited. We have another disgruntled player to talk about today. We don't have to talk about Damian Lillard.
1: Oh, let's, not, let's not lump those together. Come on. Like, this is just a completely different page from a different playbook altogether. Like, I'm not... I'm not looking at Dame's situation and, and James Harden's situation and comparing that. That's apples to really, really rotten oranges. Okay, I'll let the like audience that. decide who is who.
0: I like that. I like that you're already very defensive of Damian Lillard, and he's still not even in uniform yet. I like that. I appreciate that. Soon, soon lightier, man, lightier soon, no <laughs> All right. So Always. let's start here. Let's start yeah. here. Uh, this week, during a visit to China on an Adidas trip, James Harden was at an event. And said this quote. This was captured on video. Uh, Toma Reiserly, uh had it first from over at Clutch Points, uh, and then it's been aggregated everywhere, and you can see it all over the place. The quote is Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Hmm. Let me say that again. Harden said that. Let me say that again. <laughs> Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never be part of an organization that he is a part of. This comes after words surfaced over the weekend that the Sixers had pulled Harden from trade talks that they are prepared to enter camp with him, which the translation of that is Harden has to show up at training camp or the fines, they will be coming. Um, And Harden's response is Daryl Morey is a liar. Let me tell you again, Daryl Morey is a liar. I got a lot of thoughts on this, uh, but I want to get your thoughts first David. The reaction the, the the decision to pull him off the trade block, which seems pretty obvious, no one is going to trade anything for him, uh and then Harden's comments on this China
1: trip. Playing dirty pool, like doing whatever is necessary to get forces hand. Like this is uh really unusual. You I, I don't I don't think you've seen this At least not recently that I can think of, a player trashing the front office so clearly while still under contract and one that I think so many people had associated as a positive relationship given the fact that you know they work together in Houston and and, you know Maury brings him back to Philadelphia to work together alongside him and he's spoken so highly of Harden throughout his career. And so I I feel like, like Harden is doing what's necessary for him in order to force maury's hand a little bit especially after the recent comments so they, they're tied hand to hand there but it's just i don't know it, it just feels like this has taken such a dirty turn uh you know i've if anybody's been listening to this show regularly you know that i've been very supportive of players that make these kinds of requests even while they're still under contract but even i am having a hard time stomaching this one so I, i'm curious to hear what your thoughts are because already You're kind of taking a cheap shot at Dame Lillard, even though I think the situations are so completely different.
0: I'm not taking a shot at Dame. I'm just talking about general stars. Disgruntled stars? Um, Come on.
1: Let's hear it. All right.
0: So Harden signs the deal last year. He takes less money so that they can add P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, other former Rockets, and try and build a championship team around Harden and Embiid. And there was always known. It was always like – it was reported and it was always known in league circles that that was a handshake deal is Harden right. takes less this year. He enters free agency next summer and he gets the bag right from that perspective. That's going to be very easy to be like, haha, Daryl Morey, the analytics nerd went back on his word and didn't do what he said he would because he's a snake. And that's a very simplistic and moralistic play. And it ignores a lot of context here among those Is if you go back to December and I started hearing it in November, like in November I started getting like questions of like, Hey, have you heard about this Harden Houston thing? And I was like, what Harden Houston Mm -hmm. thing? And then it was like, Hey, he might go back to Houston. Like he really wants to go back to Houston. And then on Christmas day, it's reported by Adrian Woznarowski that Harden has interest in a return to Houston. The Sixers are trying to win a championship (laughs) and Harden is already talking about this. And so there's all this conversation about, the rockets are lining up money to throw it at harden and bring him home then the rockets hire email doka and all of a sudden you start to hear that a little bit less it starts to be like well you know houston w- we'll see and then there's like you know houston really wants fred van vliet like they're really interested in fred van vliet they would love a meeting with Kyrie too but like fred van vliet like they really they're prepared to put in a big offer for fred van vliet You don't do that if you have intentions of signing James Harden and if that's a done deal. So there are gaps here that we don't know how to fill in. Okay. And I can't like, I don't have reporting to be like, this is exactly what happened. But my read on it, if I look at the entire board and try and fill in those missing pieces, that goes a little bit like this. Harden wanted the ability to get the maximum bag with an assurance policy from Philly if, if things didn't work out, but he also wanted the freedom and the flexibility to pursue a return to Houston or somewhere else. And so now you have a situation where if you're Daryl Morey on the other side of this, you're like, look, I was willing to uphold the deal, but you also wanted out. And once you wanted, you started looking around, no one wanted you so, like, you entered into that topic. This is a double – this streak goes both ways in this situation. You, you can't have it be where teams need to honor their commitments to players, but players don't need to honor their commitments to teams. And this goes back to what we talked about last week. And that's why contracts are important. As you, if you want the money, you got to get it in writing. And so, like, that's going to have to be part of this conversation as far as if Harden wanted that money – He should have been last summer been like, no, I'm not taking less. I want the max deal now. And if he did want to uphold this, he probably shouldn't have made it so obvious that he was looking for a way to get back to Houston. Because when that dried up now, all of a sudden we wind up with the situation. And on top of it, he's tried to get himself to a one specific situation. When he opted in, there was reports of like, okay, he's going to opt in. There's an agreement that the team is going to try and trade him. But like, if you're going to have that kind of – if you're going to give them that year, they're still going to try and get return on value. They're not just going to like – because now it's like if you do the the Clippers deal, you're taking back negative assets. It's like Marcus Morris and Amir Coffey, who I like, by the way. But like you're not getting Terrence Mann. You're not getting any of these good pieces. And they actually Robert would probably – it would just – Robert Covington – it would probably just bloat the salaries and make it worse, which impacts right. their ability to retain Joel and B. So there's all these type of pieces that you have to put together as far as the timeline goes. If you ask me who is the good guy here in most NBA situations, I'm going to say there's not one. This is business. In this particular one, um, I also have a hard time with James Harden, who when Daryl Morey has done – like has been, has threw money at him at Houston. The minute Harden was available for an extension, he threw the max money at him at every single turn and pushed him for MVP as hard as anybody possibly can for a front office, brought him to Philadelphia, did all this stuff, right? Has been in his corner the entire way. But at the same time, how do you be be business partners with Daryl Morey for this long and expect anything different from a guy who has been very transparent about the very, not- brutal just impersonal he doesn't take this stuff personally he pursues whatever is like the best for his job and that's where we kind of get to so if we're going to look at this from a he said she said who's right who's wrong i don't think that there's like a good guy in this situation you just have warring factions trying to leverage power
1: okay uh that's a lot there. um so So you think Maury, I mean, are you saying Maury's the one who's been impersonal in their relationships in the past in terms of like business decisions and things of that sort? I think that Daryl has
0: always been a guy that has been very upfront with players of, Hey, yeah, we absolutely value you. We'd absolutely trade you. Like, I don't think he's ever been like, I would never trade you. Like I, I know for a fact, there've been players who've been like, Hey, I really don't want to get traded. And Daryl has been like, I know. And like, that's the answer is like, I know you don't want to be traded. I'm not going to reassure you because that's sure. not how I operate. Like Maury doesn't get into the, the relationship building side of it, the way that that other executives around the league has. And that's ruffled a lot of people the wrong way.
1: So given that though, you think he's been upfront, right? Direct at the very least, maybe not honest, but direct in terms of like what he said to Harden or not. And in that case, and feels slighted but you're also indicating that wanting to keep the whole situation open-ended by eventually forcing a trade to Houston was what kind of put like forced Maury's hand to say you know what we're not gonna we're not gonna trade you we're not gonna give you the extension etc we're not gonna do these things for you just because you asked for them is that I, basically it uh,
0: yeah my feeling is largely that if Harden was going to pursue free agency opportunities and not commit to Philadelphia under the same handshake deal, then I don't think Maury was going to feel obligated to return that favor. That is my sense here. Um, now, the question is, like, did was that communicated? And that I had no idea about, like, did Harden say but what like,
1: happens now? So what happens now? Okay, well, I mean, th- let's look at it from that way. So Harden's not going to play for the Philadelphia 76ers at any no, point in time. No. They're not going to fire Daryl Morey either, right? I wouldn't assume that Sixers ownership is willing to make that kind of move. Although, they, so, you know, it's not like he's been a, a mainstay of the organization for a long time. That's what who Harden was talking to here. Like, Harden wasn't
0: talking to Daryl Morey with those comments. He's talking he to ownership. Comments, he, Yeah, he's making those comments publicly because it embarrasses the league and ownership. And the hope is that either ownership will be so embarrassed as to get involved or the league will be like, we'll talk to ownership and be like, we can't have this straighten this out, get him out of there. Like it's an attempt to put pressure over Mori to get what he wants.
1: That's my read on it anyway. Okay. And so what happens now with Joel and B? too? Like you're, you're, you're Harden's teammate. MVP, all-star, great player, etc. You're watching this play out publicly and you're seeing James Harden trash your GM. Your, your, player, your, you know, your co-star here is talking to team ownership and saying, fire this guy. I'm, ta- I'm sick of dealing with him, etc. What's, what's Joel Embiid thinking at this point in time? Is he happy in Philadelphia? Do we start to see the trade requests come in anytime soon as well?
0: I think that this is very open-ended. And I think that my read on it would probably be that Embiid is probably waiting to see how this shakes out. Right. Like, do they pull off some sort of miracle deal? Does it, does, does does something surprising happen and he winds up getting a better situation in Philly? My thought is no, there's no way that that happens, but these things are, I will also note that if you look back at these situations with two stars, Mm. there's a, there's a, an order that it goes in. So, it's never like both of them go out at once. We didn't hear anything about the about the we assumed, right? But like there was nothing in the initial reports about Kyrie Irving and his trade situation his trade demand about yeah. Kevin Durant. Everyone was like so what about KD? But it was like yeah. Kyrie happens, Kyrie gets traded, boom KD's gone. Um Paul George gets traded, what about Russell Westbrook? Boom Russell's gone. Right. Right. So there's like there's a, a there is a sequential order that these occur in, and I would just say that like I would not be surprised if Joel Embiid is not on the Sixers. We already have those comments from him this this year about I want to right. win a title in Philly or anywhere else. Like that opens the door, right? And so, it, do I think it's it's more likely than not that six, that Embiid is on the Sixers? Of course, like the most likely scenario is that Joel Embiid plays for the Sixers this entire season but it's way less likely than it was six months ago. It's way less likely than it was three months ago. And it's way less likely than it was before Harden made these comments. And so one final thing I will note here is that under the new CBA, if a player does not play at all in a contract holdout and does not, uh, does not fulfill his contractual obligations in the last year of his contract, he is barred from signing with another team. So there are, links to which the Sixers can go. But once you start to go down that road, that starts being the the lawyers are going to get involved. And that's when the league is going to be like, we can't have this. Right. So that's why this is going to be fascinating to see play out over the next month and a half with training camp about six weeks away. Uh, On the other side, we've been doing these rankings of various players in kind of the same role tier level here on the show for the last couple of weeks, and I got a pretty good one that I came up with when I was doing my top 100 list. I want to get David's thoughts on it. We're talking about glue guys, and these are guys that fill in the gaps for championship-level teams. We'll talk about those forwards on the other side on Locked on NBA, but first, I need to tell you about FanDuel Sportsbook. Football season's about to kick off, and FanDuel's giving you the chance to win all season long. Right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. I did this last year with the Kansas City Chiefs. Cha-ching. Uh, This year, I have just put in the bet today. I have taken the same opt-in offer and I put it on the Cincinnati Bengals. I think they're going to win 13 games and they're going to be at least in the conference divisional round with a very good chance of making the AFC championship game, which gives me hedge opportunities plus all those bonus bets. So I'll take the Bengals uh, and this bonus bet for to win the Super Bowl. And I get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. You can use those bonus bets on spreads, player props, over, unders, and more by the way, look at that on the other side of this. Look at that Cincinnati uh, line on, in week one. It's a little bit fishy. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. We'll be right back on On NBA. <laughs> back here on locked on nba thanks for joining us making this party appreciate you guys being with us as we do this every week we've been going through i just we kind of came on this thing organically we got to come up with a segment name for this david uh but we've been taking a group of players four or five and essentially ranking them based off of which ones we would choose to start a franchise with and when i was doing my uh top 100 i called the elite 100 because I wanted a different name for it. And so, anyway, I've got this, I've been doing that at CBS. I'm doing it this year for action. I noticed that if you compare Aaron Gordon's season this year with Andrew Wiggins' season last year for the champion Warriors, you get very similar results. Those seasons were actually pretty close in terms of statistical production, impact metrics, and when you think about like the roles that those two players play on. So I threw in two more guys, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to rank them. And these two guys I think are interesting ones that, to lay in here because one guy is thought of as very young, and he's kind of on the fringes, and he's actually sneakily really good. And the other guy was kind of this other member of a championship team But now he's a little bit older, just signed a new big deal with the Wizards. So we're going to rank Andrew Wiggins, Aaron Gordon, Kyle Kuzma, and Brooklyn Nets forward Cam Johnson. We're going to rank those four guys and take a look at who we would pick to start a franchise with, who we want in this type of role. One of the reasons I, I kind of think about these guys similarly, David, is all of these guys are plus defenders. Kuzma's a good defender. Cam Johnson's a good defender. Obviously, Wiggins is a really good defender. And obviously, Aaron Gordon just had an incredible run where he defended Carl Anthony Towns, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Jimmy Butler on a bad ankle. But he guarded those four guys in one playoff run and winning a championship. So he had a really great run defensively. Uh, I'm curious as to your thoughts on, of these guys, if you were picking a team and you had to fill this type of role, of these four guys, who would you want most?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's so easy to say because, you know, they provide snippets of things that you need defensively, et cetera. Some provide more scoring than others. You can rely on that a little bit more. It kind of depends on the team that's around them. Let's say you have two top-heavy scorers. Like, you know, you have Nikola Jok- Jokic, excuse me, who is your the hub of everything that Denver does. you got Jamal Murray's, this ignitable score. You can live with Gordon's inconsistencies on offense. You know, as dependable as he was – defensively there were moments there where he wasn't always as productive especially when it comes to his shooting and his outside touch right i mean that's that's the reality and, and you know this better than anybody so given that i don't know who would you you would immediately plug in there i i think i think a guy like gordon and i didn't realize this I and mean, just looking at this comparison he's 28 already and you know I, i'm kind of You know, I I covered him in in Orlando and saw him when he was a rookie and everything else like that. And so seeing him through this process, like I know what he's capable of. I know he's really, really, you know, talented, still athletic, still locked on defender at times, and, and, you know, really, really, really solid. I'm kind of like leaning more towards Gordon above these other options. I'm just not as much of a fan as Kuzma's games. I think there's some empty calories there. As good as he was as a scorer, it was a really bad Wizards team. And his role in Los Angeles was really determined by you know playing alongside LeBron James, Cam Johnson. I'm kind of curious to see what this season's like with the Nets. Uh, to see, I mean, he's been good with Team USA, but you know, again, that's that's in a, a little bit of, you know pieces in here and there. I, I don't I don't know that there's a clear answer. Again, I'm leaning more Gordon above these other options. I'd have to say Wiggins, uh, knowing now what he's evolved into at this stage of his career, as a great defender, solid outside shooter. Dependable score mostly. Uh, I, I, it's between those two, and I don't know that there's a clear, you know, what Wiggins let's go with Wiggins first.
0: Okay, you like Wiggins first. What's interesting is Wiggins is going to be 29, uh, going to be 28, Kuzma's going to be 28, and Cam's going to be 28 by the end of the season. He's 27 and a half, so by the end of the season, uh, Cam will be 27 as well. So, that was one of the things is like I think of Cam as like this young guy from the suns. But the reality is is like, no, he's in this age group. Like this is the level that he's kind of in. And Kuzma, I think because he was such a, like he was talked about so highly young in his career with the Lakers that he kind of had that reputation. It's like, Oh, he's the young guy from the Lakers. But it's like, well, it's been a couple of years since then, yeah. you know? And so uh, funny how, how the space time continuum works. Uh, I would take, gosh, it's tough. I, I would think, take I Gordon think. first. Okay, and the reason I think is the playmaking is that he's shown a real capacity like he learned a lot from playing with Jokic and Murray. And you've kind of seen it that they can run two man game with Jokic and Gordon. They can run two man game with Jokic and Murray. The Nuggets absolutely sliced apart. I actually was watching a bunch of clips when I was doing uh, watching Jokic stuff. They really hurt the heat because the heat entire defensive scheme was not prepared for not the two-man game, but also the three-man game of Jokic coming off of a Murray screen catching the ball and then throwing it to Gordon on a stagger screen, like that three-way action that they're able to provide is, is really valuable. Um, I do think that Wiggins is an exceptional defender. Gordon's a little bit stronger, obviously, but Wiggins is really strong too. Wiggins is obviously the, uh, a really good shooter here. He's not the best of this group. Cam's actually, actually the best in terms of Wiggins from 2022 shot 39% from three cam shot 40% last season. So it's it's Cam and then Wiggins and then actually Gordon and then Kuzma, who shot pretty poorly last season from three at thirty three percent. And so like the the, this kind of gets into like an an interesting kind of comparison of do you want the rebounding? How much do you want the defense? Do you want the shooting versus the rebounding? Those kind of things. I'll put Gordon first. I do think you got to definitely have Wiggins second. He's shown that he can be a contributor to a championship team. The debate between Cam and Kuzma, I think is really interesting because I think Kuzma has ha- taken a bigger role and that kind of shows in the usage stats and then the, the um, attempts per sure, game. Yeah. like it is harder to to be more of a focal point. And I wonder if Kuzma could have a bounce back season, although he did choose to resign with the Wizards, which was a curious choice, but the money's the money. Um, I'll actually probably take Cam third here. I actually think Cam Johnson can make a huge leap this season. And that's become great. a guy that we talk about as like a legitimate threat. Like him and Mikhail Bridges is actually, I'm pretty excited to see that Brooklyn team. The more that we kind of get closer to the season, I'm kind of like, yeah, I think I'm going to watch a lot of Brooklyn games. Like I think they're going to actually going to be a lot of fun.
1: So Maybe you'll develop an appreciation for Tyler Hero too. Like that's going to be a, fa- a fun trio. A hero, I, I, I you know, Bridges and Johnson, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um And then
0: Kuzma is the best rebounder of all of them. He's the biggest, obviously. He's the most power forward of this group. I think Gordon's more of a combo forward. Um, He did average – Kuzma averaged seven boards per game last season, uh, and he actually averaged the most assists at 3.7, which I thought was also interesting. So Kuzma can be a little bit more of a hub than these other guys, but I don't know. I think they're probably – if you ask Gordon to do that, like he did in Orlando, like he can do it to probably similar success levels given the the struggles. So it's it is kind of an interesting question of would Kuzma be better off in the role that Wiggins and Gordon have rather than trying to be more of a focal point? Like I think he's probably going to be this season, and then the question of like Cam Johnson can he take on more of a role, more usage, and those kind of things? I think is an interesting one. I agree. Uh, so you're you, you
1: think you think of Kuzma as being a high level defender?
0: I think I think he showed in the last year in LA, I was really impressed with him as a defender because I was very low on him up until then. And then he looked really good. I think that this is a recurrent problem with the Wizards, and like Beale's a good example of this. They are so mediocre, I don't know what the effort level is for any given player on the Wizards defensively. Like I would love it if somebody just came into the Wizards and was like, No, no, no. Like I'm gonna set the set the table for us. Like I'm gonna set the example for us. We're gonna be good defensively but like everybody in, in Washington is just kind of known like, yep, we're just kind of here getting paid. And so there's never a high level of, of defense. I still think Kuzma could probably defend at a pretty high level. He's not as switchable as Gordon and Wiggins, but I do think that he's pretty capable as a, as a big body defender against some of the, the bigger lineups in the league.
1: Yeah. Um, so our ranking would probably be the same minus, you know, Wiggins and, and Gordon at the top. I, I, I... Probably have Wiggins first, just because he's also shown, you know, what it's like playing alongside Golden State, and I think his evolution as a player, I really commend that. And he's, he's just been, he's been show, he's shown real growth uh, and, and willing to accept a lesser role, things of that sort. So I, I, I appreciate that in his particular basketball journey. And yeah, uh, Kuzma, I, I don't know, like I just have a hard time evaluating him as a quote unquote glue guy. Like solid, good role player. He can, he can help on occasion. I just – I don't see that he's the guy that you want to rely on as your third option on the team. So I would probably rank him last in terms of this list. All right, on the other side, David was at the Hall
0: of Fame this weekend. We'll get his thoughts from the experience of watching Dwayne Wade, Tony Parker, Dirk Nowitzki, Greg Popovich. Great speech mm-hmm. there. And all the other festivities, as well as some reflections on those players and the legacies that they leave behind. We'll do that on the other side on Locked On NBA. back here on Locked on NBA. Thanks for joining us, making us part of your day. Appreciate you guys being with us on a Tuesday. You can catch the show usually Monday afternoons uh, around between 5 and 6 Eastern is when we record. If you Turn on notifications At least for over a little on uh, Locked on NBA on YouTube. Do I, you David? At least for a little while, you know. At least for a little, little while. Time. Yeah, we got, we got time. I don't know. Are we going to do preseason recaps? That'll be the question is whether we do the, the night shows during preseason uh, or not. Uh, all right. So, David, made a little trip last weekend and visited the basket, the Naismith basketball hall of fame, uh, who indicted a great many people over the weekend, including Dirk Nowitzki, Tony Parker, uh, Dwayne Wade from the Miami heat, a lot of heat fans in attendance. And they were very loud when he, he called out heat nation, the, uh, let's go heat. Jan I thought was a little bit, I was like, okay, not, 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 not the place guys, not, not the place. Um, <laughs> Becky Hammond also inducted yes. very, a very nice comment towards Greg Popovich that I thought was really cool um, and interesting given there was always a little bit of a question of how things ended there. Um, Mark Spears, by the way, got the Kurt Gowdy uh, Honorary Hall of Fame spot. I love to see Mark Spears um, get into the Hall of Fame. Mark's a legend. So I was really glad exactly. to see that. Uh, David. What was your big reaction from – was this your first time visiting the Hall of
1: Fame? No, it's the second time covering the uh, enshrinement there. It was a couple of years ago to when Chris Bosch was enshrined, and that was uh, a little different because, again, the, the even though things have been a little bit more slack, there were still a lot of health and safety protocols in terms of who was accepted and things of that sort. So I was very – short a small like media contingent and like everybody was very you know socially distant and things of that sort so it was just a little a little different this experience this one you know not, obviously not as much and uh i think you got to see like the full reaction like you know the city of springfield not particularly big obviously uh not a glamour destination by any stretch but to see it kind of dedicate itself to honoring basketball and the enshrinement was really cool a lot of banners lining downtown streets and that sort uh at your know, restaurants kind of welcoming everybody there because they know everybody's in town for the enshrinement hotels. Similarly, uh, just a lot going on. So there's just this buzz, you know, a lot of fans walking streets, people in jerseys that I'm sure you probably wouldn't see, uh, you know, carrying shoes and basketballs and other memorabilia as they're looking around. You know, they have this press conference that I attended on on Friday, and it's at the Mohegan Sun, an hour and a half away from Springfield. It's in Uncleville. Connecticut, you know, so it's completely different. I mispronounced that correctly, incorrectly on purpose. But anyway, um, just, you know, just seeing all the people just m- migrate and flock to wherever players are, just wanting to be a part of basketball greatness. And and that's what the weekend was for me, was just seeing everybody just enthralled with the joy of basketball and just accepting it, loving it as a fan, seeing players like Wade and Nowitzki that had had this Long-standing resentment that they've talked about many times over the years, kind of just develop a friendship, a, a chemistry. Like it was really palpable seeing that and seeing them interact in person, talk about one another, and mutual respect and things of that sort. And then just the fact that this class was so transformative for me, like seeing you know Spurs players that were like international players, like like Tony Parker, and how he transformed. Like the idea of a French point guard. And he talked about that, you know, dreaming big and being able to play on the NBA level. Pagasol and his impact. Dirk Davitsky changing like the way European players are viewed in the United States and abroad, transforming the game of a, a big shooting, you know, from three and and, and having that much like Carl to Anthony Towns changed the game. A little bit. A little bit. Uh, you know, Pop and, and his approach to everything. Becky Hammond. Having this impact, the 1976 U.S. women's basketball team just making an indelible mark on the sport. Like, that's what the Hall of Fame is supposed to be. And I know a lot of people criticize that the Basketball Hall of Fame in particular is a little too open-ended, right? Too many people come in and things of that sort. But I, I felt like it was just right. And it really showed, like, different aspects of the men's and women's game, how it's evolved, college, professional sports, high school sports even. The fact that it's just it's an impactful it's just just a, it has an impact on so many people's lives, and so many people kind of tend to shrug it off. It's just a sport, but it really is just a way of life. And for so many people that have dedicated themselves and, and be able to help so many people and change the way the game is perceived, uh, it, to me, it was just a really beautiful experience.
0: My favorite thing about the Hall of Fame is how often it's an opportunity for these players to tell us of the communities that help them get there. Uh, that the players along the way that meant a lot to them as teammates, the coaches that meant a lot to them along the way, the family that stood by them. You had the great moment with Wade bringing his father on stage when, you know, when he talked to Gabrielle and and the kids and you've got, you know, Dirk's moment with his wife, love Dirk's speech. It's hard not to. He's really funny, but also I loved his conversations about his coaches, about Don Nelson, about Nelly, talking about him and about, uh, he, he shout out both he and Tony Parker, both shout out Michael Finley,
1: mm-hmm. who's currently
0: VP of basketball operations for the Mavericks. That's a really good, uh, like that's a very good example of there are players that will not make the hall of fame that were instrumental and huge presences in these eras that are now gone by. And Michael Finley was a huge part of the two thousands in basketball. He was nominated for the for the uh, Hall of Fame. Didn't get in. I don't think he's going to get in. But like, he was a huge part of both the Spurs and the Mavericks. And Michael Finley, to be quite honest, whipped ass. He was really good. But he was also a really great teammate. And so, to be honest with you, these speeches were great because of how many other people that they attributed to Pop taking us on his entire long standing journey from, you know, Pomona Fitzer to you know the Air Force Academy right. um all of the Larry Brown <laughs> the story about him trying out for the Nuggets and them saying you should get a suit and tie like <laughs> oh, and, and then talking about the star players about David you know ribbing David Robinson and Tim Duncan and he was like right. I just need you to nod every now and now and then so that people think you're listening to me like these these comments though. Uh, the the level of of love that these guys have for the people that were there along the way. It was one of the reasons why, to be quite honest with you, I was always so disappointed and just like, I think it's really sad. Like Jordan's t- Jordan's speech to me was yes. like really sad because it was so bitter and it was so much about like all you people, did you know, here's all these guys that didn't believe in me. And it's like this should right. be a moment for you to share like you are being, there is no bigger honor in the sport than being a hall of famer. This is an yeah. opportunity for you to be like, to say, I appreciate the love. Here's how I did it. Here's all the people that helped me do it. Um, And that's why, like, honestly, I'm a little bit worried about LeBron's because I think much like Jordan, that once you reach that level, I think it's hard for you to have a mindset of, of the, those kinds of experiences. Like, I'm sure he'll, he'll talk about Savannah and the kids, but I just think it, it that it was really great for me hearing Wade talk about UD. Um, yep. You know, Wade shout out so many players that I'm fond of. that I, I'm fond of like my favorite Heat team is one that w- people have forgotten, and it was the one before the Shack trade. It was Lamar Odom, Karan Butler. That team, wow. was so much fun. It was so good, and it was my so- favorite
1: team of all time. It my favorite good. Heat team of all time. It, it was, was a so joy to watch.
0: time. We got to do an episode yeah. of them. those opportunities I thought were really great. Uh,
1: yeah, no, I'm glad you bring up that point, the comparison to, to Michael Jordan, because we talked about this on Lockdown Heat, too, with my, my recap yesterday. It was just like it's such a sharp contrast, the bitterness that everybody remembers from that speech. The fact that, you know, that he picked everybody apart and said, you doubted me, you hated me, what you said to me or didn't say to me. Like, And we know this now because of the Last Dance documentary, but you know that's just the way he's always operated, taking things personally and using that as motivation to become one of the best players of all time. I hope that LeBron doesn't go this route. And I think that's where you kind of see the differences in his personality. It's maybe it feels a little bit more overly produced in just a sense that we we have a – we get to see more of LeBron as he's coming up with these things, the way that he operates. The, The curtain is peeled back so much more for LeBron's whole life and, and his career than we ever saw for Michael Jordan. We didn't know about this. Media coverage didn't exist. Social media didn't exist, obviously. So we didn't get to see all about this. In fact, I mean, growing up, many of us thought that Michael Jordan was affable because he yeah. came across as charismatic. Yeah. Little did we know, he was just a jerk who hated everybody and was really good at basketball as a result. So, you know, and, and I think it, it's a little different. Um, I think LeBron's speech would probably skew more towards the positive side of things rather than... Yeah. The Jordan esque, but yeah, I don't know. Well, so I'm
0: not. I'm not necessarily worried about LeBron being like listing the people that doubted him because I think it's hard to yeah. do that when you have chosen one written on your back. But <laughs> I, I'm more just he is at such a level. I think it's hard to to have the same kind of view of some of of the other folks. I think. It'll, but one thing I, I then reason it might go the other way is I do think that LeBron still genuinely loves basketball. Like he has a love. With the game and he always has, and I think he always will. Yeah, um
1: good
0: point. I I did not see I haven't seen Tony. I'm gonna watch him tonight, but I haven't seen Tony's or
1: pals Pau Powell Gasol's speeches. Um Tony everyone, Parker's yeah. yeah, Tony Parker's was hilarious. He yeah, was really, really good, really funny, really charismatic again. a uh, pals a little dry, uh, but you know, again, he got his little comments in there, like he, he was he is at a different level like you know one of the best interviews I've ever had like so easy to talk to and everything else like that he's uh, always one of the the top for me in terms of like guys I've been able to speak to uh throughout my career and and uh yeah he, he was he was great and always so open got to talk to him on the red on the red carpet too so that was always fun um just to, he's go watch those if you haven't seen all the speeches Uh, It's a lot of fun. And if you haven't been able to attend, you know, an enshrinement or even just visit the basketball hall of fame and you love this game or else, I don't think you'd be listening to this podcast if you didn't love this game. I mean, I know there's a lot of hate watching and things of that sort. I just don't think it applies to people who follow this show. And if you love this show enough and you love this sport enough, do yourself a favor, take a trip out to Springfield if you can that's going to do it for Locked On
0: NBA for Tuesday. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you guys being with us. You can check out David over on Locked On Heat. You can follow him on Twitter at DRamil13. You can find me over at Locked On Nuggets, as well as on Buckets, my Action Network podcast. You can catch me on Twitter at HPBasketball. Tomorrow, you got John Corrales, Jake Madison back with you. You've also got Pat the Designer and Nick Angstat on Thursdays. And Wes Goldberg another host of Locked on Heat, along with Adam Maris, another host of Locked on Nuggets on the Friday show. We'll be back with you next week talking about Team USA. We'll get into another ranking of the players. We'll talk about whatever latest nonsense has come up in the player discussions, and hopefully we won't have to talk about Damian Lillard for another <laughs> week or so. Uh, we'll see you guys again next time. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys again on Locked on NBA.